Welcome to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. That's right. Welcome to The Waggle podcast brought to you by us here at the CFL and CFL.ca and myself, Donovan Bennett. And this week we have got a Southern Ontario preview, at least the two Southern Ontario teams that are on opposite ends of the QEW, the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Toronto Argonauts, the Labor Day Classic rivals. And so we are going to break it down with two guys who know those teams really, really well. Don Landry is going to preview the Argos, and Louis Butko is going to preview the Hamilton Tiger Cats. He does a great job as their digital host, also the digital host for Forge FC. So our Hamilton soccer fans, make sure you're giving him a follow. But we're talking all about Canadian football on this episode. What do the depth charts look like? What will the standings look like? We're talking Argos and Ticats coming up next on The Wagon. And now we get to talk to Don Landry about all things Argos and what this depth chart looks like. And we have them for the better part of maybe the next half an hour. We could have booked two hours to talk about all of the change and all of the competition we might see in training camp. And why don't we start there, Don, with how different this roster looks. 4-14 and 14 in back-to-back years, then a year off as the league paused. And now I don't know if any team in my time around the league has had more change in the front office, the coaching staff, and on the field is these Argonauts. What's the biggest difference people will notice right away from the Argonaut team we saw on the field a couple years ago to what they might see this summer? Well, yeah, it is. It's as you mentioned, Donovan. It's hard to know exactly where to start because there are so many new faces in so many new places. Um, you know, you'd have to start with the identity of the team, which comes from the head coach, of course. I know that isn't so evident when the game starts rolling. You're not watching the coach on the sidelines, but everything trickles down from Ryan Dinwiddie, um, what this team is going to be. And that includes defense, even though he's a former quarterback and is, you know, an offensive coordinator. It's uh, the head coach decides what the personality of the team is like, and it all uh, spirals out from there. So uh, he's the focal point beyond that with, I mean, if, if there had been a season even last year, we could have had almost the same kind of conversation, Donovan, about all the changes to the Argos because they, People might forget, but you know, heading into last season, they had made a lot of changes and had to because of uh, the poor records of the previous two seasons. And then even more changes come because they had even more time uh, to pull off some of these changes. So you look to the quarterback position too, once you get beyond what I talked about with the head coach and his personality trickling down and, and what will they be at quarterback? It's funny because it could be a very different Uh, looking uh, Argos offense or it could be somewhat similar depending on how they go with QB1 and Nick Arbuckle is the guy who we all thought was anointed as the starting quarterback when uh, he was let go by Ottawa and signed by the Argonauts in the offseason but now with the the late addition of McLeod Bethel Thompson who carried them through the 2019 season as a starter for the most part uh, you could see a similar style at that position. And again, it's it's the big focal point for any football team, isn't it, is the quarterback position for spectators. Yeah, the quarterback position, who QB1 might be, 
has been somewhat fluid. For a year, we thought it was going to be Matt Nichols, and that would be the future at the position. Then Nick Arbuckle, who I thought originally would have been a great fit, ends up coming into the fold in Toronto. And then again, most recently, the signing of McLeod Bethel-Thompson. Given the relationship with Dinwiddie and Arbuckle and the history and you know the, the bit of youth that Arbuckle on, has on his side, is he have the inside track to becoming the, the day one starter? I believe so, personal opinion. There was a reason that they were so disappointed that they didn't get him after the 2019 season. Remember, Arbuckle was traded to Ottawa and signed there. I think the Argos had targeted him as their number one guy in free agency with the, uh, the signing of Dinwiddie and that relationship. And so uh, when that decision was made during this past offseason with both of these teams making decisions that they could part with their quarterbacks. Uh, I think they bring in Nick Arbuckle thinking uh, we continue what we were building uh, between Dinwiddie and Arbuckle in Calgary uh, and what so impressed CFL fans with Arbuckle's uh, uh, not exactly meteoric rise, but uh, is very impressive play in filling in for the injured Bo Levi Mitchell. So I, I think that is probably, that makes sense to me that that would be the plan going into training camp, is that we think Nick Arbuckle can be everything that a guy like Bo Levi Mitchell is already or developed into. And we think it can happen sooner rather than later. And if it does, they'll look good. And McLeod Bethel Thompson, in his continuing search to be a franchise quarterback, uh, will be put on the back burner once again. If Arbuckle fails, falters, I should say, I don't expect him to outright fail, then I think, yeah, as, as training camp goes on, maybe we start to, to, to whisper, whose team is this anyway? But right now, I think, from the outset, you'd have to consider it uh, almost Arbuckle's job to lose, or at least that the Argos would prefer that he perform the way they think he can and be the number one quarterback coming out of training camp. The funny thing about... You know, owning this team and really owning the locker room and being that sole leader and voice. McLeod is coming back into a situation that he's familiar with, but in many ways, a lot of the faces on that offense and on this team will be much more familiar with Arbuckle, given that this team, in many ways, is Stampeders East. There's so many guys yeah. who had a big, big part in why Calgary has had sustained success and now is in Toronto. Is there one former Stamp that the Argos have accumulated over the last two offseason that really, really stands out to you? Uh, in specifically in the receiving court, do you mean? In, in general, because um, you could find one on, on almost every level of the depth chart. <laughs> it's true. Um, I'd say Eric Rogers is the guy. Um, he's, he's, just, he's the difference maker. Uh, a phenomenally gifted athlete who just makes tremendous catches when you don't think he can. He is a guy that owns the over-the-middle area as a receiver, gets separation in traffic, has come back from terrible injury to be as good as he was, if not better. He's it's an awful lot like S.J. Green. I'm kind of describing guy, uh, Eric Rogers, who I think is an awful lot like S.J. Green, who is now uh, you know, not an Argonaut. So I think he's the guy that kind of pops for me. But as soon as you say that, you start thinking of Devaris Daniels. You know, some people might think of him, you know, being a former Edmonton Elks player, but of course uh, did so well in Calgary for years. And Juwan Breskison is a difference maker. But so I'm hedging a little bit here. But when you said it, I think the first guy that popped into my head was was Eric Rogers. 
there are so many potential guys that could have popped into your head because they're they made a lot of noise in free agency a, a year ago but really this last year i don't know about you but so many times i said to myself okay well surely they're done now <laughs> yeah. they can't they can't go and get another big fish but when you look at the top 30 pending free agents that we had on cfl.ca eight of them ended up becoming argonauts including five of the top nine at at what point did you really say okay they're being so aggressive that uh, they're really changing the ceiling of what this team could be was there one signing for you that that really pushed it over the top well no I, I not that i can think of but you know things are kind of a blur now i'm trying to remember what they did on day one because they did stuff on day two and then on day five and then and then, as you said, when you thought they were done, all of a sudden, hey, Enoch Mwamba has been signed by the Argos. So I don't know if you have that in front of you, like the transactions that happened on the first day of free agency. I'm trying to remember where maybe they saw. I think John White was a guy, actually, that they got on the first day of free agency, which was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, both that the BC Lions uh, were happy to part with him or maybe not, or not being so aggressive in trying to re-sign him and that the Argos went and got him. That was one of the first day uh, signings that I guess some people would have to say, yeah, maybe they're serious. But it, again, I can't remember some of the other ones that happened on day one or was it day two, you know, and then and they had trades in there as well, as we know, you know, for Cordero Law, and Roberts and Daniel included in that deal. It, it, it did seem pretty obvious from the get-go, didn't it, when it came time to start wheeling and dealing that the Argos were going to you know, pull out both six shooters and fire away just continually, you know, go after big free agents and that it just wasn't going to stop. And uh, you got that sense from, from Pinball Clements that he was happy to do that, that they were all happy to do it. And, and you get the sense from the organization that, again, going back to something maybe we were talking about earlier in this interview, is that they absolutely had to make a lot of changes. You can't just keep going on with a core of players that was, one, aging, and two, flat out not successful over the previous two seasons for me it was the positions that they narrowed in on i said to myself well enoch miomba cam judge two canadian linebackers at the top of the game if they get one of those guys guys they'll, they'll be in good shape they end up getting both and then i was, yeah. thought to myself how, how are they going to fit them in schematically on cfl.ca on our depth chart we have judge playing the will and enoch playing in the middle at the mic that was already a, a pretty, you know, talented linebacker room before those additions. How do you see that position uh, playing out? One that CFL teams have had really less emphasis on over the years, and now we see the Argos really investing on that position. Well, I see Muwamba in the middle. He's just been monstrous there. I know that Judge could play there too, but do we see Muwamba as an outside linebacker? I personally don't. I mean, he can play it, but he's just was so good with Montreal in every situation in the middle. And before that with Winnipeg, I think he was emerging as a middle guy. Uh, that was his stronger position in the weak side linebacker. And Judge was so good in Saskatchewan at the will. I don't know why you'd want to mess with that. They, they have to get to know each other. Uh, that's enough, you know, uh, and, and they're each other's tendencies and, and work hand in glove that way. So switching their positions doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So I see Mwamba in the middle and Judge at the weak side linebacker. And then you've got, I think, 
you know, and some people don't consider the Sam linebacker a linebacking position at all. They think right. it's more of a defensive back, but um, they have questions there. But they have, or they have a question there, I should say. But the good news for the Argos is there are a lot of really good answers for them. at Sam. They can use training camp to figure out who they want to put in there beside Muamba and Judge. And uh, uh, it's, it's in doubt right now. I know that CFL.ca has Chris Edwards in there as the Sam, and, and he'll get a look, of course. Um, he's played that position be- before. But you know who else has? Shaq Richardson, who can play anywhere. Back. He can play halfback. He can play corner. He could probably play safety. He has played Sam, and he played it very well for the Calgary Stampeders a few years ago. They've got Cresden Butler as well. So there's some flexibility there. Uh, if, if the question hasn't been answered, who is playing Sam for the Argos, as I said, they'll get a good answer no matter who they go with there. You know, training camp is great to answer questions in terms of who played well at another level, NFL, NCAA, U Sports, and can translate that success to the CFL game. Given, you know, a truncated offseason and maybe an abbreviated training camp, it'll be a little bit more interesting to see how some of those questions of guys entering the league are answered. But is there a noteworthy player who hasn't played a CFL game that you're really looking forward to seeing and seeing how they might make an impact? And there's a long list. Kelly Bryant and Martavis Bryant. Yeah, who do you got? There are a few. I mean, Martavis Bryant jumps right out because he was so good in the NFL. And in particular, I remember him with the Steelers, uh, a terrific receiver um, who's been out of football. for. Well, hey, everyone's been out of football when (laughs) it comes to the CFL. So what, what does he look like? We, we, we tend to, don't we jump to the conclusion that, well, guys should be even better uh, if, you know, uh, they're running, a, you know, the waggle, you know, and they're getting the head start. And so if they put him in a position uh, where he can do that, uh, he should be better. But I mean, how interested is he as a veteran still in playing football? I'm not suggesting for a second he's not, but I think it's a, it's a fair and valid question when a guy like that after a few years in the NFL, hits a CFL camp. Is he, what kind of guy is he? Is he like, I just, I want to play, give me the ball. I don't care. If I see kids playing on the street, I'm going to run into the middle and I'm going to steal the ball and say, get it away from me. Is he that guy or is he not? So I'm interested to see how he fits in, in, in a, on a team that where they have, last I looked, Donovan, 20 receivers coming to training camp. Um, He's going to be one of the names that, I think people are going to look at a little more closely. Kendall Wright's another one mm-hmm. who's the same kind of thing, an NFL uh, career behind him. What does he show? Uh, and then on the other side of the ball, what do they got in Coney Ely? I mean, this guy was fabulous in the, in the NFL for a few years with the Patriots and before that with Carolina. People, people might forget his Super Bowl in 2015. He was unbelievable he had four or five tackles he had three sacks in that game he had an interception a forced fumble what do they got in this guy and is he going to be a bit of a a surprise to those who don't follow or haven't followed uh, his past and his history does Eli Harold is another guy a linebacker in the NFL who I think the Argos have brought in to perhaps uh, push the edge a little bit when it comes to rush end and uh, and probably will give him a look up on the uh, the defensive line. Is is he a guy that can unseat one of the veterans that they brought in in Charleston Hughes, Odell Willis? Uh, so those are the the guys that come to mind. I think right away um, when it comes to that type of a player, 
uh, having been added to the Argos roster. Last time the Argos were competing for a great cup, a big part of it was the strength of their kicking game. And you can make an argument that their kicking game and Canadian Liram Harilahu helped them win uh, a great cup and sealing it. They left a lot of points on the field and left a lot of wins uh, in, in, on the field since because of struggles in the kicking game. And they've addressed that with the Canadian Boris Bede. What do you see in terms of his transition towards this team? And certainly he's known for, for his great directional punting and how that might help this, this team you know, win the special teams battle. Well, I, you know, he's a lock, I think, pretty much. Um, and teams really do value guys that can do it all. I mean, you have to be exceptional at one or the other and not so good at the, the other one uh, for them to have, you know, two guys. And, and they're happy to do that, some of them. The Argos want as much roster flexibility as they can get going into this season. Hey, what team wouldn't? So Boris Beattie, who's uh, been a very good punter with Montreal, averaging 44, 45, his uh, ability to direct punts is an important thing. It's become important for almost every punter in the Canadian Football League. Uh, and his accuracy in field goal kicking has been pretty good too. Uh, you know, I think it's around 84 or 85%. It was even better in 2019. So they're kind of locked in with him uh, at that position. And so I don't think they have any worries there. Uh, they expect that he is absolutely going to be. Having said that, isn't it interesting that they, uh, you know, they picked up a guy in the, uh, in the global draft, uh, Toshiki Sato, who I think is 26 or 27 from Japan, apparently has a very strong leg, has holds the record for longest field goal in Japan's X League at 58 yards. I think he's kicked in the spring league. That'll be interesting to see. Um, I don't think anybody expects that he's going to win the job outright, but does he find a place on the roster and do we see him as the season goes on? I guess that's a possibility. But it'll be, it'll, it will be interesting to see how well he does even in camp and if he has the same kind of leg and accuracy that, that Beattie has, just to see if he can push the veteran a little bit. Yeah, the kicking carousel in the CFL is always interesting. There's usually 10, 11, 12 guys at one time who could kick in the league, but there's only uh, nine jobs. And so certainly to have a future guy who maybe could work into that, that conversation if you get hit with injuries is, is certainly smart. L lastly, before I let you go, I, I just wonder two things. What are the expectations for this club? How would you define success for this team given all of the change and given some of the recent struggles? But also, how do you think they're going to fare? How do you see them ranking in terms of uh, where they're finished in the East? Well, I have no idea. You know, and I don't think anybody really does um, because they've signed a lot of really great players individually who have been great team players with other teammates throughout other seasons there's always this question as to how does a collection of players like that unfamiliar with each other how do they fit together and as good as this roster looks on paper i don't think anyone should expect particularly with likely no preseason games i don't think anyone should expect this team to come out of training camp and look like a juggernaut and look like 
they're clicking on all cylinders. I think the best case scenario for the Argos in 2021 is that they are competitive from the get-go and should be just based on talent level, that they look maybe a little discombobulated, but with lots of potential. And as the season rolls along a little bit, five, six games into the regular season, that maybe they start to find their stride. And if that's the case, if this is a good collection in more ways than just lots of talented guys, then towards the halfway point and into the two-thirds mark of the season, toward the end of the season, then it's a team that has come together and is looking good in most every aspect. So I I hate to, to cop out on you, Donovan, on this, but I just think there are too many new players, too many new coaches, too much new to know exact, to get a good read on, on what this team's going to be. You look at the Ticats with continuity. You can get a read. You can, you can look at the minuses and the pluses and go, I think it affects them this way. But there's just so, the Argos just tore the house down and now they're starting to build it. What's it going to look like? I, we just have to wait and see. Well, that's why I can't wait to see because there is so much up in the air with this team. And that newness has brought a sense of optimism. So I can't wait to see how it all plays out on the field. When it does, you will be there to break it all down for us and put it in context like you did today. Thank you so much once again, Don. Thanks, Donovan. Always a pleasure. So I don't know if there's any team after the 2019 season that wanted to get back on the field faster than the Hamilton Tiger Cats. The best team throughout the regular season was so close, but once again, couldn't finish it off with winning that final game. And now they've had to wait for much longer than a season to see if they can get back to that place, to see what they look like. Uh, Let's break that down. Louis, why don't we start there? How different is the group that's going into the 2021 season from the group that came so close but fell to Winnipeg in the Great Cup in Calgary? Uh, it's such a such a good question, and it's like the easy answer would be not that different at all. Because when you look, you know, at, at the depth chart from that game, which I was doing this morning, I was looking at the depth chart, I was looking at the names, the coaches, the you know, everybody listed on that chart. Um, the consistency from 2019 to where we are right now, uh, you know, in 2021 is, uh, is, is ridiculous. Like in a league like this where, where you know, one-year contracts have, have become what they are and, and um, you know, guys like to see what, what else is out there. The, the Cats have built something that, that the players have bought into, the coaches have bought into. And, you know, it, it's they don't need to test the waters is what, they, you know, the answer I always seem to get is like, well, you know, when I talk to guys before – you know, February 14th, before that first day of free agency, you know, why did you sign? Like, wasn't it tempting? Didn't you want to see what was out there? Like, you know, day one of free agency. And they they always answer the same way. You know, I like what we're doing here. We we trust what we're doing here. We're building something here. And uh, and really, they, they, the results, you know, in 2019, last game of the season put aside, speak for themselves. And there is a lot of turnover when you look at their competitors in the East. New coaching staff, a new front office in Toronto. Got a new ownership group in front office in Montreal. And in Ottawa, you've got a new coaching staff. And essentially, you've got new quarterbacks in Toronto and Ottawa as well. A lot of consistency in Hamilton. But certainly, they didn't achieve that ultimate goal. So there 
is room for internal improvement. What's the area of focus where you say, I like to see what they've done and this is where they've improved from where they were in 2019? Yeah, I, I go back to a couple of uh, things I've read lately. Uh, you know, Marshall had a piece up on CFL.ca and talked about their special teams. And I, I thought that was a really interesting um, point to kind of highlight just how good the special teams was last season, because, you know, when we do talk about the success that 2019 had um, with the Ticats, you know, we, we obviously talk about the offense and the way Dave uh, Evans was so easily able to transition into that number one quarterback role. We, we talk about the defense, the way they play the game, the, the defense that that's been built. Um, but special teams is one of those teams that one of those areas that's overlooked. And again, you know, credit to Marsh for, for really highlighting the fact that, you know, look at what Frankie Williams did and, and look at what they did on special teams and the veteran, you know, the veterans that they have on special teams, like a Mike Daly or a Courtney Steven. And then you tie it together uh, with with a Jeff Reinbold, you know, like it, it, it's it, if there's one thing that you look at with this Ticats team, it's like, how can that unit get better? How does, you know, Jeff Reinbold, uh, you know, mad genius watching football 24 seven, you know, what has he taken from all these, you know, last 16 months that he wants to execute on the field. So when we talk about, you know, areas for growth, I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, what he's able to do with this time off because, you know, he is one of those like mad geniuses when it comes to football. And I'm sure he's just, he's ready to, to hit the field and, and, and try out some of these plays he's been drawing up for the last year and a half. There is already consistency and, and potential even growth in their quarterback room where they've got great depth. Going to camp with two guys who have proven they're good enough to be starters in the CFL, is there a benefit to that? Or given that training camp might be a, a bit shorter, uh, will that be uh, something to manage in terms of how the reps are disposed? Well, Donovan, uh, you, you know this game a lot better than I do. And, and when you look at uh, you know, what, what good teams do and what, what winners do uh, in this league. It's, it's have two good, two great quarterbacks. And I think, you know, regardless of, of who is, you know, QB1A and who is QB1B, you know, a- after, you know, week one of the season, um, these guys have each other's backs. And I, I did a podcast with, with them uh, a few months ago. And, you know, I, I told them, elephant in the room, people are going to think that, you know, you guys don't like each other because, you know, one of you is going to be the starter, one of you is not. And Dane, Jeremiah, they both came out there like, nothing could be further from the truth. If anything, iron sharpens iron. And that's something that I've heard repeated from the defensive players. That's something I've heard repeated from the coaches. It's something I've heard, you know, repeated from the scouting staff is that iron sharpens iron. And the only way you're going to get better is if you have somebody as good as you to push you to be better. And with the Ticats, you know, with, with Jeremiah and Dane, that's what they're doing. And and let's not forget about the other quarterbacks in the room. Dave Watford's been around for a while. Like he, he's kind of the Dane of two, three years ago. Um, and, and they're all being led by Tommy Condell, who, who we saw last year can drop a brilliant offense and, and can pick and choose pieces and, you know, can get Brandon Banks the MOP and can literally transition so smoothly from from a Jeremiah Masoli to a Dane Evans, um, you know, losing Sean Thomas Erlington really early on in the season. How did he adjust there? So it all comes together in that Ticats offense and then led by, uh, you know, the, the man himself, Orlando Steinauer. So, yeah, I, we talk about the quarterbacks um, coming out of camp and, and what, what, what that's going to be, but it, I, I don't think it's going to be a storyline after week one or even week one. There, there really isn't a story there. They're two guys who compete 
who push each other to be better and, and want the best for the team. And I think that's in the CFL, having two quarterbacks who can buy in and can be ready to go in a moment's notice is, is one of the most successful or one of the most important things you can do to be successful. When I was at the Grey Cup in Calgary a couple of years ago and I saw the two teams run on the field, the thing that struck me in terms of how similar they were is both teams really were built through the draft. And Hamilton has had two drafts now, obviously, since they've been in that place. Are there any names that you see in terms of draft picks that could push to make an impact and, and play early in their careers now that we're back to playing football? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, I mean, Jake Burt, we, it, it was pretty obvious on draft night um, going into draft, you know, that, that, that first overall pick. There really was a buzz around it. And then, you know, when we heard the name Jake Burt, it was like, okay, who is this guy, right? Like we, we, we all did a little more research, but the Ticats had had their eye on him for a while. So, I mean, to, Jake Burt's obviously the, the obvious answer, the first overall pick of, uh, of last year's, of this year's draft. Um, but Colt Woodmansey last year, you know, somebody who, who the Ticats are really excited about, you know, you talked about how the Ticats were built through the draft. Like you look at that offensive line and the the guys who have come up through the Ticats system. And, and, and again, you, you mentioned these are guys that the Ticats have had their eyes on for a while. So, you know, Drew Alamang, uh, um, you know, Sean Burke, two of the best at what they do. And they have the a really good scouting staff around them as well. Um, so I, I'm, I'm excited to see the 2019 or 2020 and 2021 draft classes compete for spots because, you know, uh, 18 months, whatever it's going to be, that's a long time away from football. And, and guys know what has been built for the Ticats. Like guys know what to expect when they step in the locker room. And, you know, you could be here, but if there's somebody who is ready to do your job and is, 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 can push you, they bring people in to make an impact and to push each other. So I really, I'm, I'm not questioning any of uh, Drew Alamegs or Sean Burke's picks the last couple of years. I think any one of them could be, could be an impact player before we know it. In this group, oftentimes we evaluate who's going to be good in any given season based off of well, who won or lost for agency. But Hamilton has done a pretty good job of being aggressive at re-signing their guys and not letting them get to free agency. Uh, is there one person that was locked up internally that really, really secured their ability to compete at a high level moving forward? Um, I, I mean, really, you look at what the Titans, who they have signed in the last uh, two years, obviously, you know, Masoli, Brandon Banks, uh, you know, Devere Posey. I mean, the, the names of the, the guys that the Titans have brought in to, to really push each other, even Cam Phillips, you know, a, a couple of days ago announced as uh, the latest signing. This is a guy who was lighting up uh, the XFL and, and, you know, I know the Titans are really excited about him. Um, and, and, you know, the receiving core of this Ticats group, like getting them back, um, you know, you're asking about players who, who re-signed, but getting Don Jackson uh, on this team, someone who, who was able to kind of do Jovan Santos Knox, Siante Evans, really like, um, we're talking about guys who decided to stay. And I mentioned that like guys decide to stay because they like what's being built here. They, they trust the system. It's such a cliche to use in sports, but they're a family again another cliche to use in sports but when you're around these guys and when you see it you you realize why that's such uh you know and maybe a sometimes overused term but why it's used in groups like this they are a family they care about each other they push each other to be better um 
so yeah, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, if, if there's one guy, obviously, you know, getting Masoli back um, to, to, to push Dane and to, you know, obviously push each other to be better is going to be huge. And um, yeah. And, and, and listen, we've gotten uh, whatever, 20 minutes into this conversation. That's the first time I've mentioned speedy B like the MOP is still, is still speedy B like he's, he, you know, he, he doesn't seem to be losing a step uh, much uh, in, in his uh, kind of his back half of his career. So um, getting, getting Brandon Banks, getting, um, you know, Braylon Addison, who, who had a stint in the NFL. Like, I, I feel like I'm focusing on the offense, but I just think having that, that core group of guys back from last season or from the last season we played is going to be so important to just be able to hit the ground running in the shortened season, right? Like every game's going to be that much bigger in a shortened season. So to be able to have a group that knows the offense, that trust each other week one, that's going to be such an important part. So I, I know I evaded the question by, by listing about 30 players there, but uh, I, I, I think, you know, just, just having that core group of, of tie cats who, who know what it takes to, to compete and to win and who want to win for this city. They want to win so bad for, for the city of Hamilton that I think uh, is an important part of, of why they decide to stay. No, you gave me great value. You gave me even more than what I asked for. You you mentioned the <laughs> city of Hamilton. You got the Great Cup coming up in that city and being able to host it and hopefully it is cl as close to a normal Grey Cup as possible, given what our new normal might look like uh, coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. What is the vibe uh, in and around uh, the team, around the upcoming season and the opportunity uh, they have and, and the yearning to get back to watching football at Tim Hortons Field? Yeah, just there's a buzz, right? Like, and I feel like it's it. I I felt it from like general consensus CFL fans that like there there seems to be a buzz, and and I know like our team, like the the people that I work with and get to call coworkers and friends and stuff, like they work so hard and they are working so hard to put on a world class event at the Grey Cup in December in Hamilton. I know that the city people at the city are so excited to to welcome the world back. I talked to Scott Mitchell. Um, you know, on, on my podcast a few weeks ago. And I, I, I kind of asked him like, what's this going to mean? And, and, and really it, it's going to be an exhale. Like we're, we're starting to see the benefits of, of getting vaccinated and, and continuing to practice social distancing and, and, and just doing our part to end this pandemic. So like once we get into November, if we're, if we're, if we're in, or November, December, when we're in a good spot, um, it, it's really going to be exciting. And, and like you said, there, there is a buzz in the city and you know, as we get into warmer weather, as the season gets closer, as it's a you know circle date on the calendar, um, you know, you start flipping the calendar a little ahead of a schedule to see how far it is. Um, there, there really will be a buzz, and I, I'm I'm really excited for the city of Hamilton because I grew up in Niagara, which you know is about a 45 minute drive, 30 minute drive from 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 Hamilton. So I grew up you know pretty close by. I always knew of Hamilton and I always saw it as like, okay, it's a, it's a city with the steel mills. I was fortunate enough to get to work at uh, TSN 1150, a great station. Um, and uh, it, I, that was really when I fell in love with the city and and got to see. And it's again, it's one of those cliches that when people talk about Hamilton, they talk about the blue collar people and and just, you know, they they, they go to work every day. They, they don't complain. They you know, they do the hard stuff. And again, I, I'm really, as I'm saying this in this answer, I feel like I'm giving the typical Hamilton cliche, but until you live it and until you experience it, like it really is something to, to, to be in that crowd, to be at Tim Hortons field. And again, I go back to that kind of exhale of where we're at in 
in the pandemic where we will be at in December. Like it's going to be not just a celebration of, of football and getting to that point, but it's going to be a celebration of, of kind of this country. Because when you look at the Grey Cup, and I've been fortunate to get to go to about half a dozen now in my uh, my short career here, like it really is a celebration. And to be able to have that in Hamilton, knowing how much I know that people care about the Grey Cup and knowing how much I care about the city of Hamilton, I really think it's going to be like one of those moments that like I try and picture it now and I just kind of get goosebumps thinking like what it's actually going to be like. So um, like I said, there's a buzz. Certainly from my answer, you can tell that I can feel the buzz. um, And I think that's something that's shared across the organization. And, you know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but there really is an excitement. The team's been working hard. It's really going to be a world-class event. So, I mean, Great Cup is a, a day all CFL fans obviously have circled on their calendar, but this year in Hamilton should be, uh, you know, will not miss t- event. Well, it'll be a much bigger celebration in Hamilton and maybe more fun to cover if Hamilton is in the game, <laughs> literally. Uh, yes. And so let's look at how they stack up in the East. You've got Toronto, who uh, has thrown the bag at basically any free agent who's willing to come. Montreal was really an ascending team uh, that looked to be the team in the East that was going to push uh, Hamilton. And they've done some things in free agency and have a young quarterback who, who's on the rise. How does this Tiger Cat group stack up with the competitors in the division in your eye? Yeah, uh, you, you really, like, I, I'm excited. Like, I, obviously, like, when when Pinball got back on board with uh, with the Argos, I think that really sent kind of a buzz through the rest of, of the East, at least for me personally. Like, I, I kind of got excited because I'm, I'm in the belief that, you know, the, the league is obviously better when all teams are, are, are ready to compete and are good to go. And, and, and you know, I, I, I like the Ticats – Ticats had a great season and I think they're going to have another great season, but I also like, I'm excited to see what the Argos do, who, who wins the quarterback job there. And and like you said, all those free agency, how do they, how, all those free, how do they come together? How does Ryan Dinwiddie, you know, execute, you know, his plan? Uh, you look at the red blacks and, and they're obviously going through something as well. And, and they've always been an exciting team. Like you don't have to tell a Ticats fan, that the Ottawa Red Blacks can't can't win big games when it counts, right? Like I, I I've I've been on the the wrong end of of Ottawa games being disappointed more times than I can count in the last few years. So definitely not going to count them out. And then the Montreal Alouettes, uh, you know, Vernon Adams seems like the most confident guy heading into the season, which I 100% respect and can appreciate because this is a guy who looks at what he's got in Montreal and. Uh, you know, I, I, I really, I'm really excited to see what the rest of the East brings because I think the Ticats set like a benchmark of like, okay, if if you want to come out of the East, if you want to represent the East Division at the Grey Cup, like, okay, here here we are, come and get us, right? Like 15 and three, that's that's the bar, and I really think every team in the East looked at that and stepped up their game, and I'm like, like I said, I'm really excited to see um, how. You know, they react to the Ticats having, you know, 16 months to review film, you know, how the Ticats react to those reactions. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the East Division. I really think it's going to be competitive. I think, you know, I, like I said, I think Vernon Adams is one of those guys who, you know, I listen to your podcast with him and you just, um, you just hear the confidence in his voice and you hear the eagerness and the desire to compete. And there's one thing I've noticed, you know, covering athletes in my career is that like, those are the guys you want 
leading the room. Those are the guys you want leading the charge. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the rest of these division this year for sure. Well, I am excited as well to see it happen on the field and eventually to see it happen at Tim Hortons Field for the Grey Cup in December. Looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to seeing you there as well. Thanks for this. Awesome. No, thank you for having me, Don. I appreciate it. I couldn't agree with Louis more. I can't wait for the Grey Cup in Hamilton. Thank you to Louis. And at Louis B underscore TV is how you can follow him on Twitter. For Don Landry, it's at Don Landry Media. Give both of those gentlemen a follow. And also make sure you're following us at CFL on Instagram, on Twitter, on every social platform. And go to our site where, just like we did on this episode, we are previewing all of the teams, but those teams in Ontario specifically, you can find on the website, you can find previews of the Argos, the Ticats, and eventually we're going to get to every team and we are previewing them positionally you can take a look at the depth charts and what they might look like on cfl.ca so in this very space as we work our way across the country that's the content you can expect from us in the coming weeks until then thanks so much for listening the waggle the official podcast of the canadian football league